Hey folks, just before this episode, want to um, pitch Homefield Apparel real quick because I didn't do it during the actual episode. We were in a flow, and I just didn't want to. I didn't want to stop us. Um, so, flipping the field is presented as usual by HomefieldApparel.com. It's high quality collegiate vintage apparel. I think I'm probably saying that in the wrong order. I've never actually thought about it before. I don't think about it before I say it. It is ingrained in my brain. But if I'm saying it incorrectly, um, I'm going to just keep doing that. And there's nothing you guys can do about it because I have control over the microphone. Um, But if you would like to try and send a message to me to get me to stop doing that, you should really stick it to me by going to homefieldapparel.com and using the code MEETATMIDFIELD for 15% off your first purchase. Uh, Everybody who uses that code actually is, in addition to their order, their really good shirts and sweatshirts, they are sent my address as well. Um, And that's been, you know... It's been difficult for me, but it was a it was a, a commitment that we were willing to make when we entered this deal, and uh, I've I remain alive to this point, so it has not been <clears throat> as harmful as I thought it might be, um, and I look forward to that continuing certainly with all of the good people who are going to use the code meet at midfield for fifteen percent off their first purchase at Homefield, and then also uh, just just get rid of the address that they send you or don't use it or really any any number of things to dispose of that um i know you're all going to do that uh, as you as you always do and we're all just going to keep living and having a good time and we're not going to regret the deal to let them do that at all or fine with it it's totally it's actually totally cool and i really i really like it uh so go to homefieldapparel.com and use code mean at midfield for 15 percent off to send me an actionable threat uh, we are also presented, of course, by meetatmidfield.com. I really don't think I need to tell you a whole lot about it. It's twelve ninety nine a month. Uh, it's got the forum. It's got the posts. It's got the podcasts. You already know it's got the posts, like I said. You already know it's got the podcasts. What more could you want? I mean, it's it's all of the good things and not any of the bad ones about college football it's just good instead of being bad um we don't have like the bad stuff that you get at uh what every other website in the world um we don't have that we just have a whole bunch of you just a whole bunch of guys hanging out on the message boards posting about all sorts of shit (laughs) We've had some really off-the-wall posts today, and that's all I'm going to say about them because I don't want to call out anybody who listens to this. But we had some bonkers posts on that thing today. (laughs) Man, uh, if you are not on there, you are missing out. You will get premium podcasts. You will get all of the posts. Most of them are are behind the paywall already. Uh, And you will get that message board, which is the best on the on the college football internet it's not close there's not a community like it um it is very good it's all good no bad you should go to meet at midfield.com and you should check it out all right here's the podcast uh sorry for stalling for three minutes Hey, welcome to Flipping the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football. I'm your host, Patrick Mayhorn, and I am joined 
by new guest host here. First time, I believe first time guest host, maybe second time. I don't remember if you've been on the show before, but Ryan has been deposed and I'm joined by long time, extremely long time friend of the show, Colton Denning. Colton, how's it going, man? What's good, man? This is uh, this is number one. This is my first time on flipping the field. I'm I'm a little nervous, but I'm excited. And yeah, let's let's get Ryan the hell out of here. We kicked his ass out to Argentina. He ain't coming back. Yeah, Ryan has unfortunately after the the North Carolina State result, Ryan was killed. He was executed <laughs> uh, in Town Square, and and I, I they didn't even really know in Argentina about the result of the game. It was an unrelated incident, but it was really good timing, honestly, because as soon as Boston College scored that game winning touchdown, uh, Ryan. Ryan's head was uh, cut off. It was it was uh, departed from his body. So we're all very sad about Ryan, but we will continue forward uh, in the only way that we know how, which is by recapping Week 11 of college football. Um, before we jump in here with the weeknight games, Colton, I'm going to ask you just at the top here, what did you think of this week? Because I'm going to be honest, I kind of didn't like it. It was kind of annoying to me. Uh, you know what, man? Uh, it was hit or miss, and I think one of, like... I drink so much during Saturdays that like I feel like I make it more dramatic in my head and then I look through it the next day and I'm like, oh, wow, it really wasn't that great. I feel like a lot of this season, you can kind of tie back to this week where like you had the potential for something really great and then a couple of results just didn't break the right way. And so it took what might be like a really good week and turned it into like, meh, meh, not super great. I feel like we're, we're finally down the stretch here that a lot of the drama now is off the field and with coaching searches more than like it actually is on the field. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like like the the stuff nationally that people talk about, I mean, there are like six teams competing. <laughs> it's it's sort of uh, a lot of this stuff, especially with, with some of the stuff that happened yesterday was like, you know, fun upsets in the moment. But I think of the Pac-12 specifically, kind of ruined the end of the season for the Pac-12 yeah. <laughs> like you have these oh wow cool you know fun upsets but then like you look ahead to next week which was supposed to be this huge week of games in the Pac-12 and you're like well great now <laughs> none of this shit is now none of this shit is going to be as cool as it was supposed to be um and it feels like we have definitely we've gotten a lot of those results this season where like it's really fun in the moment and then you like realize afterward like oh shit maybe we <laughs> Maybe we should have waited. Maybe we should have rooted for this to hold out a little bit longer so we could get better stuff down the stretch. But it is what it is. We have, uh, I suppose we have no control over it other than the, uh, you know, the, the posting that we do to impact coaches and to uh, seemingly make, in Ryan's case, to make Ryan Day a worse coach. It seems like what Ryan has done has actually impacted Ryan Day negatively. Um, and uh, so we, we do... We do, of course, appreciate that post uh, post ominously. But uh, other than that, I think it was it was a, a college football week with college football games, and that's about the best that I can say about it. Had some moments that I liked. Had some moments where people were tweeting positive things about UConn at me, and I did not much care for that at all. <laughs> I don't want to see that shit. I understand what I said about UConn. I don't want to see that shit. I'm I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm not going to be held accountable. And I'm just, I don't want to see it. I'm good. I understand what they did. I'm good. Personally, I'll, I'll pass. Uh, we're going to start here with the weeknight games and the Mac, uh, which has been, I think, pretty good this year. The weeknight Mac games, I have enjoyed a lot of competitive games, a lot of teams that are fun to watch. We're going to start with Toledo 28, Ball State 21. Toledo comes back and wins this one late behind a... Uh, a Dequ- kind of a Dequan Finn do it all himself drive. He was uh, he was hobbled here, but 
does enough to pull this one out, and Toledo clinches the Mac West. They might have already had it just about locked up, but Toledo clinches the Mac West. Um, good win, good win for for Toledo. It seems like they keep really trying to fuck it up, like they love to do under uh, under Jason Candle, but they still have not fully done it, and I guess they aren't going to because they're going to the Mac title game. I'm glad that you spent all that time talking about Toledo because I just want to talk about Ball State and how much I love Carson Steele. Like, he is my favorite player. (laughs) One of my favorite players in the country to watch the running back. 28 carries, 198 yards, three touchdowns. He spun out of a few just, like, bone-crushing tackles for touchdowns. He's fourth nationally in rushing right now. Uh, Just... Uh, such an enjoyable player to watch and i think like you said the mac has been really enjoyable these weeknight games have all been really good and like steel in the last three four weeks has just been trucking dudes and like he has no wiggle whatsoever no. but somehow he's just like outrunning <laughs> these dbs running them over stiff arming dudes in the face but uh yeah i really enjoy watching carson steel one of my favorite players in the country right now i think that the mac has to have like 95% of the white running backs in the fbs level <laughs> like it, they're all concentrated in the mac i don't know it's just the mac and will shipley yeah pretty much yeah the <laughs> the the elite the elite core of white running backs are at clemson and then every uh every mac school like i think ohio has one it's it's just uh I don't. I don't know where they're getting these guys. I guess Ohio High School is just Purdue. They they're still popping them out somehow. Um, yeah, Carson Carson's deal is a uh, is a blast. Tough loss for Ball State, which just absolutely cannot even look look at throwing the football. Not not even a consideration. John Paddock has been awful and was really really bad here in Toledo. Like I said, does just enough to get the win and to clinch the West. If they had lost this, they would have actually, I believe, surrendered the lead to Ball State. So big game for them here. Um, also during the week, uh, Central Michigan 31, Buffalo 27. This was the Burt Emanuel game. This is a guy who I have not heard of, which I, I, is not not common for G5 players, but he's a true freshman. He is the the son of uh, NFL player with the same name. Um, and he's a, he's a quarterback, ran 23 times for 307 fucking yards and three touchdowns here. This was this was nuts. This was totally nuts. I can't believe that he did this shit. I got to tell you, dude, I went through, because uh, I have YouTube TV, and I just, like, when they first rolled out, like, the key plays feature mm. i was like ah, i'm not gonna do that and so the last few weeks i've actually been trying it out and so i did it for uh this game and i gotta say like if you're gonna go back and watch highlights of one game this week it might be central michigan and buffalo it was that entertaining because buffalo was up 24 7 at half and like they were just gashing the hell out of them with the run and then it just like it stopped bert emmanuel came in and they exclusively put him at quarterback he had the 75 yard touchdown on the first play of the second half 87 uh, yard touchdown later and then like I think it was in the fourth quarter he had this super dumb fumble on a pass that he just should have like gone down on and it turned into a Buffalo field goal that gave him a 27-24 lead with 938 and then I'm just going to read off what happened on the last three Central Michigan drives to end the game first drive Bert Emanuel run for 17 yards (laughs) Bert Emanuel run for three yards Bert Emanuel run for 12 yards Bert Emanuel pass incomplete Bert Emanuel run for 21 yards. Bert Emanuel touchdown. <laughs> Buffalo punts. Central Michigan. Bert Emanuel run for one yard. Bert Emanuel run for four yards. Bert Emanuel run for one yard. Punt. 
Buffalo goes out on downs, and then the last drive of the game to salt it. Bird Emanuel run for four yards. Timeout, Buffalo. Bird Emanuel run for six yards. First and ten. Bird Emanuel run for 22 yards. Oh Kneel down. <laughs> ice is the game. 11 of the last 12 plays that they ran on their last three drives were just Bird Emanuel runs. Oh, like, my they God. They did not try. Jim McElwain did not try to reinvent the wheel here. He was just like, nope. You are taking the snap from shotgun, and you are running the ball. And that was like again. If you're gonna go back and watch a game this week, please watch this one. That was it's such it was such an entertaining game. Yeah, this was like um, doing this with a true freshman quarterback. Also, is hilarious that he was he was that good to the point where like at the end of the game in a really important conference game for them, like Central Michigan's trying to get to a bowl game here. He was so good that they completely changed the game plan, not to just like highlight him, but he was the game plan. It's just, we're just gonna give it to the freshman. He's the best player on the field. This was like uh, very much like a like a twenty. Was it 2017 or 2018 when Khalil Tate was going nuts? This was like one of those games where yep. he, he had his uh, his insanity stretch and was just like 200 plus rushing yards for four straight games or whatever it was. This was one of those where like Bert Emanuel is is fast. He's a he's a good runner. He's a good athlete, but he's not like uh, he's not like Lamar Jackson. He's not he's not like like a like a, like a track speed guy. He's just a good runner, and uh, he was going he was going nuts here. This was uh, this was a blast. Really really tough loss for Buffalo, which is basically out of the Mac East now because of it may, might actually full on be out of the Mac East because of this, but big win for Central Michigan as they uh, continue to hunt for bowl eligibility. Uh, weird way to do it, but <laughs> I have no problems with it. Um, also important for the Mac East here, Kent State 40, Bowling Green 6, just an ass whooping, just a complete ass whooping. Never really competitive. Kent State came in and, and did basically whatever it wanted to do and bowling green came in and did uh not a whole much not a whole bunch of anything um bowling green turned the ball over seven times with five fumbles all five of which they lost can't be doing that um and it also puts itself in a, in a pretty tough spot here for the East. Now, technically, it does just need one win to get there, but it would also need to beat Toledo because it plays Ohio at the end of the season. If it beats Toledo and wins against Ohio, it would win the East. But probably not going to beat Toledo, and I, I'm pretty sure they're not going to beat Ohio. Um, so it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. But good win for Kent State here. It's been a it's been kind of a rough season for Kent State, and they. Seems like took out some of that frustration on a Bowling Green team that has skated by on experience and not necessarily on ability to this point. I don't understand how Bowling Green has five wins. They're like, old. I, I, they're I do old not shit. understand <laughs> at all how they have five wins and they're a win away from bowl eligibility. I don't get it. Yeah, they've. Uh, I think that the average age of the guys on the team is about 27, and so they win every close game that they're in, and that is about it. That's pretty much all that they have <laughs> had to do this season. They beat, let's see, uh, Marshall by three in overtime. They beat Akron by three. Uh, they beat Miami of Ohio by four, and then they beat Western Michigan by four. I mean, that'll that'll do it. It's kind of it's it's like a much worse version of what NIU was doing last season. Um, they would need. They're 121st in SP plus. Awesome. Win like, <laughs> away. This this is incredible. So it would be there. I don't think that they're going to because the last two games, like I said, are Toledo and Ohio. But it would be really funny if Scott Leffler got them to a bowl game and they still fired him. That is like <laughs> that is a, a badge of honor. That's that's uh, that's what Dino Babers is going. 
going for this year is the uh, bowl game for a team that doesn't get to go to a bowl a ton, and you're still fired for it. That's a that's a classic move. Um, all right, moving out of the MAC now, Cincinnati 27, ECU 25. Boy, Luke Fickle certainly is a product of the Jim Trestle tree, huh? He he's <laughs> he is uh, unabashedly a Trestle ball uh, acolyte, and they just. That's pretty much just everything that they do, and that's been the whole season for them. And they are—they're good at it, and they pull out wins. But they don't—it's not fun. It's—it's not—it uh, <laughs> doesn't feel great as someone who has a lot of, you know, stock in Cincinnati and goes and checks the score while I'm covering a basketball game, and they're trying to lose to ECU every single week. It feels like um, it's—it's uh, not great. But they, they did what they need to do. I was going to ask you about that because you you obviously know way more about Cincinnati than me and just in watching the, the key plays through this. It looks like Cincinnati has like crazy speed at the skill positions. And is it just like the not hitting with the quarterback? Like what is it about their offense that just kind of feels off? Because it feels like they have the talent at the skill positions, but they're just so hit or miss. Yeah, it, it has been a, a lot of Ben Bryant-related issues. He's not especially accurate, and he also holds onto the ball for way too long. He was 14 of 30 here. I'm looking at the advanced uh, stats page, so these these stats might be a little bit off. But this here says that he was 14 of 30. Um, that sounds about right <laughs> based on what I have seen from him this season. Um, and, and so, like, they'll hit they'll hit some big plays like you said the the skill guys specifically Tyler Scott Trey Tucker both really good out wide and they can make plays with the ball but he's just not super accurate and he doesn't run the offense very well it's it's not anywhere near as crisp as it was last year and it's not like the best offense in the world in in terms of design it's it's pretty pretty basic stuff and they they've They've struggled to run the ball recently as well. They've had some issues on the offensive line with injuries. But it's uh, it's a whole host of things that starts with Bryant just not being as good as Desmond Ritter. I think as as they as they move forward into the future and, and, and next year with presumably Evan Prater or just a non-Ben Bryant quarterback, I think that these receivers will be able to shine a lot brighter than they have been able to this year it's it's just you know not a uh, he he was not the player that i think they were hoping that he would be and that's uh, that has kind of limited their their ability offensively um and then last one here from the weeknight fresno state 37 unlb unlv 30 um <laughs> unlv kicked a very funny field goal in this game didn't they they did and the thing about watching unlv because i've watched I've honestly have watched way more UNLV football this year than any anybody should. Yeah. Anything beyond like the healthy prescription. They're still horrible, but they look like an actual football team this year. They do. And like they're kind of interesting to watch on offense. And then I looked at the SP plus numbers and they're like 111th on offense. And I was like, well, <laughs> shit, it doesn't doesn't match up with what I see. But like in watching them in years past, they actually look like they have a pulse. And for them to even have this be a one possession game to me says a lot about how much like the gradual improvements that they've made. And this kind of felt like a game where Fresno state knew like there's, we'll have to literally shoot ourselves for there to like, to lose this game. Yeah. And it just kind of felt like they slept walk through it. Yeah. Yeah. UNLV um, has lost five straight, has not won since September. Um, but Doug Brumfield at quarterback is, is I think legitimately decent. He's a, he's a good athlete. He is, a lot safer with the ball than I think you would expect uh, based on the way that he throws. He, he's one of those guys who throws like a trebuchet, but he's he's pretty accurate and he's he's not 
overly uh, aggressive with it. Aiden Robbins, I like at running back. They just they don't have a whole lot else. They don't have a whole lot of guys in the trenches. No. This defense is is rough. It, they 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 try really hard, but they're rough. Um, I uh, I got to see these guys live back in September when they were still winning games and they beat Utah State and they. I don't know. They still didn't look good when they did that, and it was it was never really this season that they looked good. It was more just that they were, they were winning games in spite of that, and that has uh, it's caught up to them. And uh, on on the Fresno State side, yeah, definitely a, a sleepwalking here from them. But Jake Hayner, casual, of course, with the sleepwalking, three hundred <laughs> yards through the air as he is uh, as he's wont to do. I think that, that uh, I think Fresno State is fixed. It seems like Fresno State is back to yeah. being back to being what it was um as it has uh, as it has returned Hayner and it seems like maybe pretty much all of their issues were just that they didn't have Jake Hayner now does that bode well for next year under Jeff Tedford maybe not maybe maybe doesn't feel great uh seeing what they were without Hayner this year but he's back for right now and it seems like they're going to win the uh the Mountain West West so good for them tough uh tough win but they get the job done um Moving to Saturday now, Saturday noon. This is one of the games I think you were referencing at the beginning with felt like it could have been more than it was. Yeah. LSU 13, Arkansas 10, LSU not good in this game. Um, and it didn't matter because Harold Perkins decided to end it. <laughs> Harold Perkins got into the third and fourth quarter and that was it. That was the end of the game for Arkansas. And for whatever reason, it just felt like Arkansas was like, ah, We'll just let, we'll see what happens. Like with him, they just left him, like they left their right tackle or whoever just on an island. And like, there was a couple of plays where he just delayed blitzed. Uh, and it just felt like Arkansas was just willing to take, take their chances. And they took the chance and it burned him in the ass. And like the thing about this game too, was uh, there was LSU turned the ball over inside their, what was it? Inside their own 10, like early in the first quarter. Yeah. And Arkansas had, a fourth and goal at the one and they didn't score that was to me was the moment because they were up three nothing that was the moment where i was like they they lost this game because if they get up 10 nothing i i really don't know if lsu's offense yesterday would have been able to come back from that and like it's such a shame that kj jefferson's hurt because if he plays that game arkansas might win like going away and would in watching lsu i am not like putting it out of the question for them to lose to Texas A&M in two weeks. Now that they have like, they have the SEC West clinch and they're obviously a much better team than Texas A&M, but I would not be shocked to see them go in there and just like drop a stinker completely, just like blow it up. And it just totally kills any momentum that people are talking about it. Like three team, three SEC team playoff and LSU loses right before they go into the SEC title game. God, that would be so funny. That, that would be, LSU loses to A&M, oh, and then they beat Georgia in the title game, and they still get left out. That's kind of the dream that I'm thinking right now. Yeah, yeah. we, we need sort of uh, an LSU like kamikaze mission here in the SEC to make sure that we don't, have to, we don't have to deal with two or even three of those fuckers. We need LSU to go postal here so that we can, we can, get, we can get them all out of here. Because that, uh, that, that conference, I sort of came to this realization – uh, heading into this week, um, the SEC is not good. The SEC is not like fun no. to watch this year. It's not deep. There are th- like two good teams, and one of them beat the shit out of the other one last week. I just, I don't. It's not. It's not good. It's not anywhere near what it usually is. No, and I feel like uh, we kind of get stuck in the cycle of when the season goes goes on, and you have a team like Arkansas who's 
what whatever they are now 500 and it's like oh well they lost to this team and and this good team and this good team like if they played in the big 10 or the pac 12 like they'd be nine and three they'd be 10 and two like no i i saw arkansas play this year i i feel pretty confident in saying they're probably a seven and five team yeah in whichever power five conference that they play in your right like Ole miss is a good team and we'll talk about them later but like Am I confident that Ole Miss could just run the Pac-12? Are, are are they just USC in the South? Like I, you know, yeah, I, I just don't think the top of the conference is as good as it was. And like Tennessee had such a, I don't want to say such an easy schedule, but like there's a reason this Tennessee team only has one loss. And like you look back at some of the games they've played, and you're like, ah, is this a team that's really a top five team? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, they've got a lot of like uh, it, it's like if Penn State got more preseason hype. Basically, the the SEC has like six different versions of Penn State. Yeah. Essentially, it's, it's just if, like, if Penn State only played one of Ohio State or Michigan. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, these guys are fine, I guess. They're they're all right. It's uh, I'd like to see them play in a real league like the Big Twelve or the Pac Twelve, but uh, you know, <laughs> it's only it's uh, I guess we can't ask for uh, can't ask for too much. But yeah, I mean USC is just like. Ole Miss with a quarterback, basically. It's, it's yeah. a lot of those teams are, are really have not been impressive to me. Um, I guess good win for LSU surviving after what <laughs> could have very easily been like the biggest hangover spot of the season, but uh, not not a super impressive performance, not a playoff performance. I wouldn't say. Um, moving to the Big Ten, Purdue thirty one, Illinois twenty four. This game put me in a bad mood. <laughs> Pretty much all oh all day. I was I was so mad with how this game went down because this was they they stole it. They stole it from my boys. They they straight up they denied Illinois the chance to win this game. The refereeing in this game was oh my God. atrocious, awful. It was the same crew that lost in the fucking Indiana game. Illinois should have one loss at this point in the season if not for these fucking losers. I'm sick of this shit. <laughs> There's a 21 Savage line on the new. Uh, album with him and drake where he says uh all the ops get a bullet on some oprah shit and yeah. that's how it felt like the officials were with penalty flags yeah in this game illinois had 12 and i think purdue had eight and like to me is is purdue the best bad team you've ever seen or the worst good one like they just straddle that line of sometimes they do things really well and other times it's like this team sucks they have Payne Durham, but then Aiden O'Connell makes a stupid throw. Yeah. They make a great play on defense and then they get burned by Tommy DeVito. Like there there's no in between with Purdue. And it really felt like another week where Illinois, it was right there for them and officiating and just some self inflicted mistakes really hurt them again and like it just feels like sand going through our fingers of the dream of seeing illinois win the big 10 west yeah yeah and i I guess there is still hope of like purdue can very well fuck this up iowa can very well fuck this up it's not it is not beyond reproach to think that some some stupid shit could happen in the big 10 west but it does not look great right now which i I think for either of the big 10 east teams with their eyes on the the conference championship game is not ideal i don't think you want to see purdue in the big 10 championship game not because they're good but just because that's that's like that's nasty that's nasty stuff to have to see that you don't know what you're gonna get and like uh this was my favorite, I think my favorite moment of the week. Did you see, I don't remember when it was, I think it was in the second half, I, and it was on either a kick return or a punt return. And the play ends, 
and this Purdue player and the Illinois player going at it after it, after it. And the Purdue player takes his helmet, his helmet off and is like, all right, let's go. Mm-hmm. And then the Illinois dude just looks at him and he takes his helmet off too. And he's like, let's fucking go right now, buddy. I yes. don't think I've ever seen that <laughs> where like, it wasn't like a dude got like a hand up in his face mask and his helmet came off. Like, no, both dudes were on the field and they just straight up took their helmets off. Like, yeah, it'd be dumb to punch you in the face mask. Yeah. Let's actually punch each other's faces. Yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah, honor among thieves. There, that is. Uh, I, I, I was, I was sort of half settling it like gentlemen. Yeah, I was kind of half watching, and then I saw like a huge crowd of players on the field, and I was like, "That's not, that isn't right." And I look up, and there's two guys with their fucking helmets off, Dukes up, and I'm like, "What's <laughs> going on here? What is happening?" Um, yeah, the, that this was. Uh, I, I was not, I was not a big fan of how this game went down. I guess good win for. Purdue pulling it out, but um, this, I was I was very frustrated with this. I do think that Aiden O'Connell is sort of a he's a very good barometer for if national people know ball because if they still think that Aiden O'Connell is good, if they are talking about him as if he is a good quarterback, they don't. They have not been watching Purdue play. <laughs> this kid sucks. This kid is not good at quarterback. He's bad. He's got two good receivers, but Jesus Christ, he's awful, awful season from him. He is like Spencer Petrus levels of bad this year. Well, and how much of a cheat code is the Purdue offense when it's just like throw crossing route to Payne Durham, watch him drag defender eight yards, yeah. like <laughs> yeah. it, or just throw the ball up to Payne Durham ten yards in the air, watch him grab it with one hand, like it, that just is such a safety net for any quarterback, let alone one like Aiden O'Connell. Yeah, yeah, and then of course you have Charlie Jones who's just sprinting down the sidelines on every play. <laughs> it's uh, they're doing the Texas two route combination, but they're doing it on every single passing play, and it works <laughs> most of the time. It's uh. It, they're an annoying football team, and I guess congratulations to them on the win, regardless. Um, Vanderbilt 24, Kentucky 21. This Vanderbilt turned the ball over three times here and still won. It had a lower success rate, really didn't do a whole lot all that well here. Mike Wright had a big run. Um, they did it mostly on the ground, but... Just a baffling loss for Kentucky. Really, really, really bad loss. Good win for Vanderbilt, which is somehow contending still for a bowl game. But Kentucky, Jesus Christ, you cannot lose this game. Do you think that this loss kind of signifies that it's 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 coming to the end for mm. Stoops at Kentucky? Obviously not because yeah. he's like getting fired or anything, but him kind of seeing like, okay, my quarterback who's bad is actually going to be maybe the first quarterback taken in the draft. Like I'm going to have to restart this whole thing. I don't know if it's going to get any better than this. Like it almost feels that way to me because there's no reason that this Kentucky team should be losing that game at Van to Vanderbilt at home. No less like, yeah, there's just something very weird about what we saw from Kentucky yesterday. And part of me wonders if Stoops and his agent are a little bit more chatty than they have been over the last five or six months. Yeah, for sure, especially with some of the jobs that are open. You know, uh, Nebraska immediately comes to mind. Auburn yeah. comes to mind. Like, I, I I know that he has a lot of ties to Iowa, and 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 that is sort of that's been considered the the dream gig for him. And I think that that is still a possibility if he wants to wait out for that. We don't know when. Kirk Ferentz will be <laughs> finally and 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 at forcibly long, removed. Yeah, at long last executed, <laughs> removed from the position. But um, I, I don't know if he wants to continue to wait on that. But I do think that this would be like, if you're gonna do it, maybe this is a good time. And, you know, it was sort of. Uh, 
the the comparison is not exactly the same because they didn't have the drop off like this. But Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame and and jumping to LSU kind of feels similar to me. Where it's like, yeah, I think you've maybe done all you can do here. I think that you have. Uh, I think you've touched the upper bounds of what this program is capable of, and maybe it is time to look elsewhere. Not even just to raise your ceiling, but just to just get a fresh start. Just do something new. Stoops has been there for a long time. He's got a stat. I believe he has a statue on campus. He is. Uh, deserving of all of the praise that he has gotten there, but it might be time to just just look around. Not necessarily that it's done, that it's you know there's no coming back from this, but this has been a bad season. They they really should have been a lot better than this. The offensive line is is uh, dilapidated. I think it, it does not look good. It has not looked good for a while now. The defense is not what it once was. He's lost coordinators. I, I think that uh, I think it might be worth looking around for both parties just to just to see what else is out there. Um, West Virginia 23, Oklahoma 20. Speaking of losses that you really, really just can't take, really not a loss you can take, Oklahoma lost to West Virginia's backup quarterback. Um, and the starter's not, like, good. JT Daniels is not a, not, a good, not a good quarterback, and Oklahoma lost to the guy behind him. They lost to Garrett Green. Um, I mean, what an awful season for, for Oklahoma. Awful, awful season. And there was a play in the red zone too, where uh, Green was in and he messed up. Somebody messed up a mesh where he went one way and the running back went the other way. And then he did that quarterback thing when the mesh gets the mesh gets messed up, where like he just stands there frozen yeah. for a second before <laughs> deciding to run. Yeah. And he picked up like 22 yards on it, and it was like, okay, this is the perfect metaphor for the Oklahoma season. And like for both of these offenses too, and but mostly my concern with. OU's is like you know way more about X's and O's in scheme than I do but just from a basic like level watching Oklahoma's offense I'm always just kind of like what are they trying to accomplish here like what is what do they do because they just kind of feel like a 13 year old playing Madden or an old NCAA where they're like I'm running spread offense sometimes the quarterback runs it sometimes he hands it off sometimes we throw a screen but there's no overall like overarching philosophy of what the Oklahoma offense is and what they try to do. Yeah, Oklahoma is, is doing the real-life version of snapping the ball, and it's it's four verts every time, and you're always rolling to the right. <laughs> as soon as you snap the ball, time to roll to the right. i got to reset the pocket here, and then <laughs> throw to throw to circle is going to be my big plan. Um, yeah, I, I have uh, I've referred to it not just with Oklahoma, but I have referred to this general thing in the past as uh, calling plays for the sake of them, right? And Bill O'Brien has been doing this for two years now at Alabama because oh he God. does not understand the playbook. He doesn't know what they're doing. Um, you get a lot of these in this in this era of, of RPO stuff. You get a lot of people who are running that offense who don't understand it, and they're just calling plays for the sake of it. It's weird that it's happening at Oklahoma because Jeff Lebby is like one of the guys who invented the offense. He should know how to sequence things. He should know how to make it cohesive. And it just, it just hasn't been here. It has, uh, it has absolutely not been cohesive. They ran the hell out of the ball in this game and it still didn't matter. Um, it just, it feels disconnected from the passing attack. It all feels kind of listless. And, and like you said, purposeless, um, they have cool stuff. They have cool little play designs, but none of it really fits together. Um, it's just, it's a mess. It's, it's a mess there right now. They're, you know, still going to finish with a a somewhat respectable record I guess not relative to Oklahoma but relative to most teams they're currently five and five I think they're going to get to a bowl game they still have Texas Tech left on the schedule but I mean that's a bad year one that's a really bad year one for Brent Venables I'm interested to see 
what this offseason looks like for them. It would be really funny if he just left. He's just, you know what? You know what? I don't think I actually do want to be a head coach. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking about that today. Like, they're going to be one of the most fascinating teams to watch this offseason to just kind of see what that next step is for them. Yeah. Uh, and I have, I have an alternate universe question for you here. So, like, in this alternate universe, Patrick Mayhorn is a diehard Oklahoma fan. Yeah. You live... 10 minutes outside of Norman. You live in a palatial estate off of your oil money. Uh, you have a tattoo on your bicep of Baker Mayfield planting the flag mm-hmm. in the I, middle I of already, the Blanco. That, that one is, we don't need to change that one. I do already have that. <laughs> and and you have gotten into an actual fist fight with Billy Lucci from Texas <laughs> at one point yeah. in your life. Yeah. What is your concern level about Brent Venables long term? Ooh, I mean, it, I, it probably depends on like, how in you were on on Venables to begin with? Like if you were, yeah. you know, if you were really bought into the idea of oh, he's gonna bring the, he's gonna bring the Clemson model, or even just a different idea of like that's a really good offense or a really good defensive coordinator, and and we need more defense and all that stuff. So I, it would probably depend on that to start. But I mean, I currently, as someone who doesn't care about Oklahoma, am pretty concerned about Brent Venables in Oklahoma. I would have to be. I mean, it would have to be up at a, at a at a six or a seven, right? Like not not firing range, not seriously level of like, oh, we need to start thinking about putting a buyout together. Um, but it is it is absolutely up there. Like this recruiting class has to be good. His work on the in the portal has to be good. They have to look good going into next season, and they have to deliver on that with like at least 10 wins. You know, if it's a if it's an 8 and 4 season next year and they're saying, "Oh, well we improved." I am uh I would be furious. I would be extremely extremely upset if I was an Oklahoma fan or booster because that is just not that's not the standard there and yeah. it it does seem it does seem a little bit rudderless right now. It's been one year and it's hard to judge which direction they're really headed in long term, but uh, given some of the other high impact hires at major jobs that off season, you know, where you've got LSU poaching a sitting head coach, USC obviously poaching a sitting head coach, Miami poaching a sitting head coach, like a lot of teams hiring established winning coaches. And you go out, you go out and you get this guy from a, a dying, you know, kind of half dynasty. Um, I, I feel like you would be, if nothing else, looking around, feeling pretty anxious about that move, feeling pretty concerned of like, why didn't we go get a good coach? Why didn't we go get somebody who's, <laughs> who's a proven winner at this point? Why do we need to get this first timer? It's, it's a fucking, it's Oklahoma. And that would be, I think that would be probably my, my biggest concern at this point. I'm glad you said the words Clemson model too, because now we're, we're starting to kind of get enough uh evidence on uh-huh. what the clemson model elsewhere <laughs> looks like with yeah. between venables and jeff scott and uh i know you you tweeted about this yesterday uh tony elliott in yeah. year one at virginia like we're, we're starting to to mount up some evidence that the clemson model uh might not actually be uh rec rec whatever that word is yeah not replaceable but like to be repeated like i don't know about the clemson model right now not looking great yeah as it turns out usf and oklahoma and virginia do not have a secret church that they can funnel recruiting money through and that was sort of (laughs) that's like kind of the main thing of the clemson model (laughs) it's it's unclear why they thought they could replicate that i guess virginia may be just looking into building a a new on-campus church that they can funnel money through but um yeah it does not it doesn't look great for the dabo tree which is honestly i don't think surprising at all to anybody who knows anything about dabo or has watched clemson play like 
obviously was not <laughs> replicable anywhere else. It was very unique to Clemson. Uh, they also had two generational quarterback talents. It's, uh, I, I think it was a bad process. I think that all of the the stuff of hiring his assistants was bad process. I mean, fucking Chad Morris sucked too. You know, yep. it's uh, <laughs> his only hope is Billy Napier, and that's barely a Dabo guy. He got fired out there. That's um, I, yeah. It's 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 definitely. I would not be feeling great about it if I was Oklahoma for that reason and for any number of the reasons that we have seen on the field this year. Um, UConn 36, Liberty 33. Did not really watch this one until the end. Kept an eye on it late. Um, good for UConn, honestly. I, I know that I am uh, I am staunchly anti-Jim Mora. I think still correctly so. I don't really know why people are riding so hard for Jim Mora. This guy is like an asshole. He sucks. I don't... Why is it, is it just because of me that everybody's like, oh, I actually really like Jim Mora? No, you don't. No one likes no, Jim Mora. And, and you know what, dude? <laughs> take, take that back. You don't need to say good for them. Ha- I have this written down in my notes. We need to normalize. Like, everybody's like, oh, I wake up and I'm a hater. Like, no, we need to normalize actually being a hater. Like, yeah. <laughs> you like I, I see that you've succeeded and that's okay but i'm still rooting for your failure and against your success and no I, I don't have to give it to you actually yeah like i'm not going to give you your props i'm going to continue to root for your failure and root against your success no matter what so like no i don't have to give you your props i'm not going to and i never will yeah and i, I stand with you on that on that uconn front on that one with jim mora yeah i i don't i don't much care for the man i don't like him i don't think he's a very good football coach i hope that he fails because i said that he was going to <laughs> like i don't yeah i that's uh you know what that's fair fuck these guys i hope that they lose in their bowl game. <laughs> eat shit i hope that all of their players die against army <laughs> uh west <laughs> <laughs> Western Kentucky moving into the afternoon. Western Kentucky 45, Rice 10. Uh, Western Kentucky stays alive in the race to be sacrificed to UTSA in the CUSA title game. Um, Rice, it seems, is kind of falling apart here. Uh, not a ton to say on this one other than just that Rice is kind of falling apart. Um, and also that UTSA has clinched. I don't even know if this is a thing that exists, but UTSA has clinched the CUSA regular season title with this Rice loss and is, of course, going to play a part in that championship game. Um, I'll also mention here another CUSA game, UAB 41, North Texas 21, which despite this bad result from North Texas, uh, North Texas still controls its destiny and is in the title game in the CUSA with a win over Rice on November 26th. Fun conference. <laughs> very, very, very fun Trout, conference. man. Just yeah. avoiding the axe at all times. He's a cockroach. He's a, he's a football cockroach. <laughs> he can't be, he can't be killed. He's another one I'm going to say up for the, uh, the, the Dino Babers special. I, I, I'm calling it the Dino Babers special. I don't know why. He wasn't fired after <laughs> going to a bowl game, but feels like he's going to be at some point. Um, Seth Luttrell is, is, maybe it's the Seth Luttrell special because he just, uh, it seems like he might get fired for going to a bowl game. It seems like he might get pushed out the door for going to a bowl game, which we love. Um, so I guess, uh, I guess shout out to him for being unkillable. He's going <laughs> to parlay this into a big 12 offensive coordinator job. Not the worst you, thing in the world. I, how much of it do you think is the AD is just scared to actually do it and physically be in the same room? As yeah, Seth like, this guy's going to beat my ass if I fire him. That's fair. And that is a good, that's a really good reason as a coach to just be as big as possible is that you want your administrators to be physically afraid of you and they can't fire you if they're physically afraid of you. And uh, that's sort of what Kirk Ferentz has going at Iowa is that everybody in the athletic department has actually been 
uh, beaten to a pulp by him at one point during their lives, and so they're very afraid of firing him. Um, and that's kind of what Seth Luttrell has going on there. It's what Luke Fickle does at Cincinnati. Uh, it's a really good approach. It's, you know, America yeah. is, is entering big boy season, as we have established elsewhere in, in America. <laughs> I think that college football needs to uh, needs to embrace that. And uh, Seth Luttrell is a, is a great example. You can't fire what you are afraid to be in the same room with, and that's, you know, it's it's worked out for him this far. Yeah, no, and I feel like before we move on from this game, it feels uh, right to mention and just give props to Dwayne McBride. Yep. He tied his lowest rushing output of the year, and that's 120 yards. <laughs> <and touchdowns>. So <laughs> Dwayne, a casual day, but not great day for Dwayne McBride on the ground as he continues to just run through every single defense he plays face. Yeah, man, it, it is um, it, it is heartbreaking that UAB is, you know, entered this season without its coach and is without yeah. its coach here because this team should have been so good and they have lost Agreed. exclusively close games. And, like, I have to think that those go differently with Bill Clark on the sidelines because... Yeah, like they, they, I think they have decent enough relative to UAB quarterback play. They have found some receivers who I think are okay. And these running backs are ridiculous. Dwayne McBride and Jermaine Brown. Jermaine Brown, kind of the guy who stepped up here and uh, and and took over 24 rushes for 150 yards and a touchdown. Those guys are awesome. They were awesome last year. Um, I think that this team probably deserved better than it got. I'm interested to see who they hire moving forward because it is uh, it's a bummer. Yeah. I would have liked to see them at full strength. Next up here, we've got Alabama 30, Ole Miss 24. Ole Miss very, very nearly pulled this one off. Very nearly pulled this one off. Was on a drive at the end of the game. Got, I think, into, if not into the red zone, very close to it. Um, and uh, then stopped giving the ball to Quinshawn Judkins. Just didn't do it anymore. Four straight plays where they didn't give the ball to him. He took them all the way down the field. Literally, it was exclusively Quinshawn uh. Judkins. And then they get into the red zone and... Uh, I think it was two quarterback draws and two incomplete passes, if memory serves. Um, Lane Kiffin special. He loves it. He cannot get enough of it. I'm just picturing uh, Derrick Henry from the 2014-2015 Sugar Bowl texting Judkins and just being like, been there, bro. Roll (laughs) Tide. Yeah. (laughs) Sending him a text yesterday. And like the two notes I have written down here are just, Bryce Young is amazing. Lane, uh, Lane Kiffin is a dunce and like this this alabama team is very interesting to me for a couple of reasons because one just the sheer amount of things that have to go against them for them to lose like in the tennessee game and uh who who in the lsu game like literally everything had to go against them to lose those games and then in this game like you're down whatever it was 17 to 7 and for them to come back the way they did despite like some stupid plays. And it just all feels like this year that it's just on the back of Bryce young and Nick Saban is just like, I know, man, like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like it just, but it has to be you. And every single time it is him and Bryce young to me is in that special class of quarterback where if it's third and 10, like it has to be third and 27 <laughs> for me to be like, okay, Alabama's punting here. Like yeah. they're, they're not going to get this one. Because he can be scrambling around, there can be somebody right in his face, and at the last second he'll pitch to somebody or he'll find somebody. It's just it's amazing to watch him just kind of run around and make plays and really just put that whole team on his back. And it kind of feels like he's just the only one doing it. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Are you familiar with? I'm gonna I'm gonna splice the audio into the the episode. But are you familiar with the video from like 2011 or 2012? It's a I think it's a Raptors game, and there's a fan in the stands. Uh, Rudy Gay is playing on the opposite team. Are you familiar with this video? And there's a fan in the stands when Rudy Gay gets the ball at the very end of the game. And he he's you know he's he's dribbling it out, and uh, the the guy in the stands is yelling. No, it's Rudy Gay! No, 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 not this guy! Not this guy! No! Oh my God! You fucking asshole! No! No! That's Bryce Young. That's what Bryce Young yeah. does. It's just just. I know he's going to do it, and then he does it, and I'm still mad about it. I Every time he fucking does it, he just, he, <laughs> he won't stop. He won't leave me alone. It was, uh, I had the same feeling with another another NBA comparison, watching my, my poor Cavs against the Warriors so many years when they had fucking Steph Curry would just keep doing this. Yeah. Stop doing this shit. Just lose. I, Why can't I you just lose? I literally felt that today watching the Cowboys with Aaron Rodgers. Like, I'm not even upset that they lost that game today because I'm like, I've, I've seen Rodgers do this to yeah. them, yeah. whatever, like 15 times. So it's like, I'm numb to the pain. And with, with Young, it's always like, it's right there. It's so close. You almost sack him. You almost tip the ball. You almost pick it off. Yeah. But he finds a way to make the play. And it's just like, you know it's coming. And you know it's about to hurt. And it's inevitable. And it still is like, God damn it. How did he do that? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there's no third and nine that he will not gain exactly nine yards rushing on. There's, <laughs> he, he, he has never seen a third and nine that he didn't like. And it, it's especially frustrating because, like, that's all he does. He doesn't do anything else. He had 194 passing yards in this game. It's just that. He makes the entire game plan out of these, these stupid plays where they're in a hole and he digs out of it. And it, uh, if he was just purely dominant for 60 minutes, it would bother me less if he was doing this on yeah. first down. But he do, he never does. He fucking, he, he's he's doing it on purpose. He's he's sandbagging so that he can make it hurt more when he actually tries to complete passes. Every play is a Heisman moment. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, ex- except for, uh, you know, the, like, he, he has 25 Heisman moments a game, and then the other 40 plays are just thrown out of bounds. Just absolutely nothing <laughs> going on. And uh, unfortunately, the 25 are the only ones that are that are displayed, and so he's going to of course, somehow win a second Heisman. It's ridiculous that he won one already based on just doing that. But, like, he's so fucking good at it. It is it is yeah. it's demoralizing. It's very, very demoralizing. Um, even as a neutral observer, I can't imagine what it feels like when it's, you know, you're, you're a defensive coordinator and your defense is giving up third and 15 after third and 15. There's just nothing you can do about it. Um, yeah, disappointing loss here for Ole Miss. Really should have won this game and, and just kind of, uh, you know, shit the bed there at the end. Uh, I think that they... Uh, I think that they had it and they just didn't take advantage there at the uh, there at the end. Boston College 21, NC State 20. I don't really have any thoughts God. on this game. I just want to let that... Just want to let that sit. NC State had five turnovers. MJ Morris, not a great game here. Um, We can use the excuse of NC State is very hurt, which they are. But, I mean, Jesus Christ. You can't can't do this. This is like fucking Kentucky losing to Vanderbilt, which is uh, good on Jeff Halfley there for turning Boston College into Vanderbilt. You've really done it. That's, That's what they were looking for. But, man, what a bad loss. Really, really bad. It feels like this has been coming. 
Yeah. Like NC State has avoided the guillotine and they finally got it in the worst possible way. I have this down as one of the first the one of the top five losses of the season. Yeah. Like it's up there to me with Nebraska losing that opener to Northwestern, uh Pitt losing to Georgia Tech at home, Boise State getting blown out by UTEP. Yeah. <laughs> and uh Illinois losing that opener to Indiana, which like increasingly might be the most painful loss of the season at the end of the year because it's probably going to cost Illinois the Big Ten West. Like, yeah, and I guess Vanderbilt, Kentucky too. Like that that one with a backup quarterback, and not that like Phil Jerkovich was playing great or anything, but to lose to that Boston College team, who I think was on a four game losing streak, yeah, like that is a brutal way to go out. Yeah, and and Boston College was worse in like basically every statistical category. Boston <laughs> College had in this game, if uh, if gameonpaper.com is to be is to be believed, uh, three successful runs. Three. That's it. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't have any other successful runs. Three. They ran the ball in this game. Um, well, only seventeen times. So maybe not as bad as I as I thought it was. Jesus Christ! Boston College threw fifty three times to seventeen rushes. I didn't even notice that with a backup quarterback. <laughs> What's happening out there? At, at this point, Halfley, it's just like, he's, what What do you got to lose? Yeah, he's the damn joker. This guy, this guy has nothing to live for. He's just going to call a bunch of passes. What does he care? That's uh, Yeah, that's bad. That's a bad result for, for NC State. Good result for Boston College. Very funny result for this podcast. Uh, UCF 38, Tulane 31, was not close for a really long time. Tulane closed down the stretch and was able to make it more respectable, but this kind of confirmed a lot of my fears about this Tulane team, which is just that they're not really great at anything. They're pretty good all around, pretty good on defense, pretty good passing attack, pretty good rushing attack, but when the game comes down to it, they don't really have one specific thing that can that can elevate them, and UCF did here, and it's that Tulane could not tackle John Reese Plumley. Just no interest at all in tackling him, and Tulane really could not keep up. Did not have the top end talent to keep up. I just I do not like watching UCF play. No, it's not and fun. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's tough that they're. It has like you wrote down in the notes because I had I really didn't know this that they lead the G five meteor six race. And when I read that for the first time, like my heart literally was just like, oh, yeah, damn it, because I know exactly how this is gonna end. They'll win out and go. 10 and 2 win the conference title game and then they'll play some disinterested power five team in the bowl game and they'll probably just run through them and all the talk will just be like what a great year for ucf this team was awesome and it's going to be so fucking nauseating yeah because they weren't they weren't awesome they weren't really all that good in general they weren't they weren't really fun to watch they do those little gadget plays but this is another offense that's calling plays just for the sake of it yeah and yeah it is just it's frustrating that nobody has uh nobody has intervened basically (laughs) no one has done what needs to be done to this ucf team it uh and, and tulane was not built to do it maybe cincinnati can get him on the rematch that game was really close the first time i don't think it's impossible but it is uh and also UCF will have John Reese Plumley in that game which is because they didn't have him is why they won the last one uh and so if he's healthy UCF is at a disadvantage but uh, Tulane just did not did not have it at the end I have kind of like I said I have kind of had an inkling that this is the case all season and I, I this did not move me off of that the hope is if we want to invo- if we want to avoid UCF in the in the new year six we're going to need it to lose to Cincinnati in the AAC title game, yeah. <clears throat> and we need Coastal Carolina to 
um, really kind of <laughs> carry its its corpse over the finish line here and get Grayson McCall back for the for the bowl game, but needs to do it with a backup quarterback here and just just win the uh, get get to the Sun Belt title and see if Grayson can play. <laughs> if he can, then you can win it and have one loss, and maybe we can we can push hard enough online to have a case for them to. Uh, to jump over a three-loss UCF or two-loss Cincinnati or two-loss uh, Tulane, but it's still going to be it's going to be a long shot because a lot of people nationally still think that the AAC is like far and away the best G5 conference, which it yeah. isn't. If you win the Sun Belt, you're a better team than the team that won the AAC. Straight up, you are better. It is a it is a better conference than the AAC, um, and uh, UCF is proof of that. UCF is is the best proof I have that the AAC is not as good as it used to be. Yeah, meet at midfield X, flipping the field uh, prayer circle to keep UCF out of the uh, the New Year Six. We need it. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna they're saying I'm going Tanya Harding mode on Gus Malzahn, and we're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna look into that further. Uh, Iowa 24, Wisconsin 10. Oh, awful, brother. awful football. Oh, brother. <laughs> Jesus. People Christ. are people are talking about it, and I tweeted it yesterday, and I got it. I got a few people that disagreed with me and i understand why Mm -hmm. but i'm not backing down off it man iowa like it is clinched in my mind they are winning the west they are absolutely winning the west like i know they can fuck it up i know in theory that they can lose to minnesota yeah kirk ferentz is not losing to pj fleck with the west on the line no they are wrapping that baby up in the next two weeks iowa had 94 yards passing and 52 yards rushing and they won this game by two touchdowns they had 17 and 18 yard touchdown drives plus a pick six. Like it's just, it's so awful. And it sucks too, because like the discourse on Iowa, it, it always has to be about the offense. Cause it's so bad, but like the defense is so fucking awesome that yeah. it just sucks that they can't get like just a watchable offense. But the fact that they're just winning games like this, it's unbelievable. And Kirk Ferentz, he's, what makes it even like the worst part about it is at the end of the year, he's just going to be, he's going to have, he's going to be on top of the podium after they win the West, just with like a shit eating grin and being like, mm. uh, do I have any questions about the offense tonight? <laughs> We're big 10 West champions. And like, you can't hate on it because yeah. he just won the West, but it's like, God damn it. He, he did it again. Yeah. He's, he's right. But he's such an asshole about it. He's, <laughs> they are, they, they are that, but come on. Yeah. I, um, I don't know how the tiebreakers would work with this if Iowa was to win out because it beat Purdue, uh, but it lost to Illinois. So I I don't know. Uh, Ryan would probably know better than I would because I kind of have the he, like he, he tracks the, that shit. Um, so they have the head-to-head win over Purdue, but not Illinois. Purdue has Northwestern and Indiana, but lost to Iowa. Minnesota has Iowa and at Wisconsin, but they lost both games to Purdue and Illinois. Yeah, Illinois beat Iowa, but they're for sure losing at Michigan yeah. next week. So that's going to give them that fourth loss. So I think Iowa has the easiest easiest path in that if they win out, they're in. They don't really need anything else to happen. If they just win both those games, uh, they're in. And I know somebody tweeted out that there's like 7,000 different scenarios and that Wisconsin can still win. <laughs> but the most likely path to me seems to be Iowa repeating as Big Ten West champions. And like the other, the only other thing I have from this game is I mean we we knew this before, but like we're done here, Graham Mertz. Like yeah. we're we're done. Yeah. That's the only that's the first and only thing Jim Leonard, presumably, or whoever gets that job, and that's not to just rag on him, but like both parties need that. It's yeah. we're done here. The experiment's over. We tried it, like there were ups, there were downs. 
but they need to go in a way different direction because it's pretty clear what it is. Yeah, I, I will. Uh, I, I guess you could hope for like a Bo Nix style divorce. I guess that didn't work out great for Auburn, but a version of that where it does work out for yeah. Auburn. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm sure that there are some out there. Um, th- th- that that could be in the works. Where just good for good for uh, for Wisconsin, move on, get a different quarterback. Good for Graham Mertz to try something new, go to a different system, see maybe how you yep. like playing out of the shotgun. Just just give it a try, just to see. Um, I, I definitely I could see that being in the cards. Um, my only other thought on this game is that every Big Ten West game is a policy failure. We should not be having this. <laughs> this is dangerous. It's it's this is not it's not good that we're doing this still as a country. We are better than this. We are above this. We should not still be playing these games. Uh, they're sick. It's it's sick. It's sick what people are doing watching these football games every week. Um, it would be all. It would be really funny if Illinois beat Michigan. It's not going to, but oh that God. would be sort of the ultimate of those like. Very funny in the moment, and then you realize a little bit later, like, oh shit, that kind of yeah, that <laughs> that kind of would have been cool to have number two Ohio State against number three Michigan, um, but would be so unbelievably funny in the moment that I, I really, really wouldn't care. It's not gonna happen, but God, that would be truly one of the funniest things to ever happen in college football is uh, the thing interrupting like the the next version of the Ohio State Michigan game of the century is fucking Illinois, which just. <laughs> just lost to purdue that would be that would be great it'd be like the uh what what year was that 2015 where arkansas and ole miss played uh that crazy ass game where there was the fourth and 24 and the tight end caught it and like threw it way back behind his head and it was literally like the reaping sowing tweet where in the moment it was like (laughs) fuck yes this is awesome yeah and then alabama made the playoff and won the national (laughs) championship and everybody's like no this fucking sucks yeah no 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 yeah yeah absolutely that is uh it's a real nightmare scenario what that would actually create but it would be very very funny in the moment and that's uh I, I my I'm like a goldfish. I really can't see anywhere beyond that. So I am looking forward to uh, to rooting for that and being sad when it doesn't happen. Uh, last game from the afternoon slate here. Just want to mention to shit on Appalachian State. Marshall 28, App State 21. Fire your coach. Get a real coach. This is embarrassing. App State should never be this. App State should never need to win its last game to get to a fucking bowl game. This is it's it's. It's ridiculous. It, it, they have to win one of ODU or Georgia Southern to get to a bowl game. It's November. You're App State. You should have already locked up a bowl game like three weeks ago. You can't be doing this shit. This is embarrassing. You're 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 out here moving like Georgia State. You are you are a national title <laughs> caliber program five years ago in the FCS level or whatever it was. You are better than this. Go get a real coach. This is I'm 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 sick of this shit. You just <laughs> you just lost a Marshall. Do you know what Marshall's done this year? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It is you can't you can't do this. Now you share a loss with Notre Dame. That's embarrassing. App, App State is, is above that. What a weird year for them too. Like yeah. you lose sixty three to sixty one North Carolina in the opener. You beat A and M. You have the Hail Mary against Troy. Uh, that game against James Madison where they blew. Oh, yes. What, what, that was like a twenty eight to seven or a twenty eight to three lead and lose that game. Uh, you lose to Texas State. Yeah. What What is that? And then they play the you know a close game against Coastal Carolina the other week, but make a bunch of mistakes and then you lose at Marshall and it just. It kind of feels like one of those years, like teams have them every once in a while where it's just like they need to just get to the end of December and wipe the slate clean and start again 
next year because this year, like whatever it is, there was just some bad juju around the team. And it just felt like a year where nothing is normal for them. They can't play, like you said, that regular App State brand of football that we're so used to. And there's no reason that this team should be five and five. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this team, this is not a joke. This is not an exaggeration. They returned almost literally every starter from last season except for their wide receivers. And those receivers were good. But come on, you, that <laughs> that should not be enough to derail your season to the point where you have to win one of your last two games to get to a bowl game. That's, that is, this was like, <laughs> this was like a conference championship caliber team like two years ago. They should not have fallen this far this quickly that uh, I, I have not heard any talk at all about that job, but I should, I should be hearing talk about it because this is not acceptable at, at App State. And it's, it's a very similar similar situation to the one that we're seeing at like Memphis or Louisiana, where eventually you hire a copy of a copy so much and it just doesn't work anymore because it's not the yeah. original guy and it's not going to be as good as the original guy. They need to seriously look into moving on. Um, evening, Georgia 45, Mississippi State 19. It was close for a minute, but Georgia pulled away late. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm done with Mississippi state just as a concept. I don't need to see these guys anymore under Mike Leach. I don't need to think about them. I, I get it. I get it. I understand what they're doing. It's fine. Whatever. Go six and six. Um, I'm good. I don't think I need to watch it anymore. Yeah. And it's a shame too, because like there's some dudes on the defense. They have, they have good corners. They usually have good defensive linemen and the offense. You just, you never, you know what you're going to get, but you really never know what you're going to get. And they're just so obviously going to live and die by that system. And this game, like you said, was close there for a little bit. And then Georgia kindly kind of pulled away and like Georgia has been playing with their food mm-hmm. all season. And there were a few questionable calls and not that any of those calls would have changed things like Mississippi state would have won. But uh, this was one of those games where after like after the first drive of the third quarter after that punt return to end the the first half i was just like all right we we know how this ends i'm I, we don't need to watch another second of this game yeah yeah for sure something to to keep an eye on is something that ryan and i have been talking about a lot this season with georgia which is that uh they had one carry here from lad mcconkey for 70 yards outside of that still can't run the ball georgia can't run the yep. ball it's 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 notable that they can't run the ball and they kind of couldn't run the ball last year either didn't matter then Defense is not what it was last year. It's still very good, but something to monitor, something to keep an eye on that Georgia um, kind of doesn't run the ball that well and doesn't really establish themselves in the offensive trenches in the way that you might expect them to, given their reputation. Um, but they still won this game by quite a bit, so it's it's hard to, hard to be too upset about it. Uh, game of the day here, personally. This was, this was the one that I had the most fun wa- watching. Uh, Washington 37 Oregon 34, the first of two catastrophic results for the Pac-12's hopes nationally, but uh, the first of two very good games in the Pac-12. Washington, I mean... What a response from them this season. Just this, this thing could have gotten... This thing could have gotten bad. It absolutely could have gotten bad. It could have fallen apart on them as they lost that UCLA game, and then they come back and they lose to Arizona State on the road. And it sort of seemed like at the time, it was like, okay, well, I I guess that was fun while it lasted, but they're going to fall apart. And then they have just... They weathered the storm through three kind of not very good games against three varying levels of okay teams, and then they come out and beat the number six team in the country on the road, and they look damn good doing it. I mean, wow, what a win. What an impressive win from Washington. 
And it kind of felt like it was a microcosm of the whole season, like you said, where like they started off really strong and they were just throwing haymakers at Oregon in the start of the game. And then a couple of self-inflicted, just brutal mistakes. That uh, that interception mm-hmm. from Penix at the – like, oh, that – that was just so terrible. And to be able to kind of just put that in the rear view, that, that last drive, yeah. that last touchdown drive to tie it up, like just the, the stones and Michael panics, man, he is so much fun to just watch, throw the football. And I don't know what his like pro prospects are. I don't really care, but just watching him just step back and sling it. Like, yeah, he puts some juice on it for a lefty. And as a fellow lefty myself, like I, I just love watching the lefty succeed and so to see him have the year that he has in their offense to be explosive at they ha- as, as they have been, like like you said, it could have – this season kind of for them, it lined up for a bounce back. Like, it, oh, if this goes right, if this goes right. Like I, I said at the start of the year, if things break their way, they could go 8-4 and four or 9-3. and three. But if that that's if things break their way. Things have broken their way, but they've also made their own luck. They've also made their own success. And I think that Kalen DeBoer hasn't – there really hasn't been a lot of talk about him mm-hmm. and he's just flat out been a stellar coach for them this season. And for them to go into that environment where early in the game, they took like two or three pre-snap penalties because it was such a nut house and to just go through that. And some of that is because of Oregon's defense, which is ghastly. Yeah. Like they're just so yeah. awful in the back end, but 5% stop rate for Oregon in this game, oh, 5%. <laughs> just terrible. And it, you know what? Like I was rooting for Washington, but it felt like the right team won. Yep. Washington was the better team in this game. They, I hate to say like they deserve the win, but they earned the win. And, you know, Oregon gave it to him at the end with that call, which like, but what did you make of Oregon's decision there late in the game? A couple of their decisions late in the game were, were a little bit, uh, a little bit suspect to me. It almost, it almost feels like, and this was a game that saw Oregon, fuck up quite a few times on kind of risky, risky situations. They had that fourth down call that didn't go their way. They had that really stupid swinging gate formation into a regular formation into an immediate fumble on the goal line. They had, I believe they had an onside kick that they didn't recover here. This did feel like pretty much everything that Oregon has been doing this year, all coming due at once where it's like, well, it's not going to work every time when you do that. Dan Lanning, you can't just be, you know, being aggressive and being stupid are different things. And sometimes you can't just do that. You have to be a little bit more calculated. And so I thought that I thought that some of Oregon's late game stuff was very strange and didn't really feel like it was grounded in anything that they had actually seen in the game. It was more just them doing it because that's what they do. And like I, I, you know, credit to them, I guess, for riding what got them there. But I thought that a lot of their decision-making in this game was, was very strange. The ending of the game was obviously... Uh, bizarre. I don't really know what to make of the the end here, but um, I, I think that Oregon, you know, you don't want to go away from what got you there, but maybe you do want to think a little bit before you call some of the plays <laughs> that they called. Yeah. Well, and like, uh, you know, when you're a kid and you, you come back into the house and your parents would be like, hey, take your shoes off. Don't drag mud into the house. Yeah. This felt like uh, it wasn't his fault, but it felt like uh, this was a game where Bo Nix uh, brought Auburn into the house. Like this was yeah. a very Auburn type of game. All the dumb shit that happens in every single Auburn game happened in this one. And it wasn't Bo Nix's fault, but it was like, if you just put Oregon and Auburn jerseys for that one, I'd be like, yeah, yeah that'd be a total Auburn game. Yeah. Yeah. And this, uh, I, I really do wonder, I'm curious how Oregon fans feel coming out of this because it's such a different way to lose a big game than what they're used to. <laughs> Cause they usually yeah. lose big games because it's like, 
fourth and one from the other side of the field's you know 35 yard line and they punt with two minutes left like that's usually how they lose these games and they didn't do that that they lost it being aggressive like I wonder how mad they are about that because I'm sure that they're mad about this that they're frustrated about it but it is uh it is an interesting situation of like you got what you wanted (laughs) this is is what you were looking for and sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it does and it, it didn't it didn't work out for him here. Bo Nix definitely, you know, had a good game, but does he bring some of that Auburn with him? Where it's just there's there's always that little twinge of like this is gonna break bad. Something bad is it's gonna crazy happen here. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- this was uh, this was fun though. This was a really really fun game. My last thing on this is uh, on Michael Penix specifically. That dude is a psycho. I love to watch him play quarterback. He's he, awesome. He is just no regard at all for. <laughs> where the defense is for if he should throw the ball, if it's a reasonable, you know, throw to try, like absolutely no interest in it. He is, he sees open you know, open patches of grass and he throws to that. That's it. That's all he wants to do. Well, that patch of grass is open. I'm going to assume that a wide receiver is going to get there by the time the ball does. And, uh, he's usually right. He is, uh, he's wonderful. One of my favorite players in college football to watch just, uh, like I said, just a psycho, total, total psycho, no thinking at all behind his game, just throwing the damn thing around. Really, really fun player to watch. Um, next up here, I don't have a ton on this one. Just want to mention it. Kansas State 31, Baylor three, uh, just an ass whooping. Kansas State, Ooh. Kansas State does not make a whole lot of sense to me. I do think that I, I, I've come to the conclusion. And I, I really don't like to say this because I really enjoyed the Adrian Martinez renaissance here and him getting to have this this nice season. Uh, Will Howard is better. They should go with Will Howard at quarterback because he's, yeah. he's just he's better. The offense is better with him at quarterback. It feels like the floor is much higher with him at quarterback. And like K-State is so vanilla and that's when they're at their best. Yeah. Like that's not an insult to them. They're vanilla and that's when they're running their best. Like they had their H-back caught two touchdowns deuce vaughn obviously did his thing he shook a baylor defensive back so bad mm-hmm. on the touchdown pass that he caught and it's rare to see a dave aranda team just completely get put in the meat grinder like that but that's it just felt like kansas state had them in a headlock for the whole game yeah yeah and that is definitely that's something about it is like with will howard he's not going to take away from deuce vaughn or you yeah. know, ben Sonata or, or malik Knowles or any of those guys like He's going to stay out of the way for the most part. He can throw the ball. He can throw the ball really well, honestly. He throws a really pretty deep ball. But I I think with the talent that they have here and with the offense that they run, it might not be the worst thing in the world to just have a quarterback who stays out of the way for the most part. And, and, you know... I think Agreed. they can. I think they can totally appreciate what Adrian Martinez has done. I think that he was a a really smart pickup on their part. I think that it was a really good idea. I get exactly where they're coming from, but. I think somebody who can make throws 40 yards down the field is a really big help for this offense. It's not huge. It's not a huge part of what they do, but it's enough that it changes the it changes the look in the box and makes things a lot easier on all of those skill guys who are good and who I think do deserve to have the focus of the offense largely on them. Because as much as I like the, the Adrian Martinez story, Deuce Vaughn is better with the football in his hands. He just is. And the more that you can get yeah. the ball in his hands, I think the, the better. Um, <clears throat> moving to the Mountain West quickly, Wyoming 14, Colorado State 13. Just want to mention this because this sets up essentially a Mountain Division uh, championship game between Wyoming and Boise State in Laramie next week. Wyoming 
narrowly, narrowly, narrowly Ooh. avoid, literally by a couple of yards uh, on a Colorado State 40-yard field goal try that went wide left. Um, narrowly avoids blowing it here right ahead of that game and, and keeping Utah State in the conversation in the mountain. Instead, Utah State is eliminated. Uh, Wyoming does it with a backup quarterback. They stay alive for another week. I can't believe that this Wyoming team is still <laughs> competing. I mean, these guys are bad. <laughs> these guys are not good. And they're 7-3. and three. They're going They're going into a game with Boise to try and win the division. It is... Uh, it is a reflection of the Mountain West, absolutely, but wow, I can't believe that they're still doing this shit. They almost lost to Hawaii last week. And if CSU doesn't muff that punt in the fourth quarter, yeah. I, I don't know if they score a touchdown to take the lead. That basically cost CSU the game and just kind of handed it to Wyoming. Yeah, yeah, brutal. Brutal uh, brutal for Colorado State, who has just had a miserable season of situations like that. Just keeps losing games close. I think those boys are going to be good at some point here not too in the not-too-distant future, but they are not yet, and they couldn't pull it off here. Uh, weird result here. Result that I was not expecting. In a couple of ways, TCU 17, Texas 10, not high scoring, actually very bad offense on both sides of the ball. Never really got going on either side. Quinn Ewers was horrible. Max Duggan was not a whole lot better. Uh, but TCU grinds one out, uh, does it with defense, does it with, uh, with with situational play, does it on the ground with, uh, with Kendra Miller, and just... Uh, are they good? Is TCU good? Do I need to accept that TCU is good? I I had not thought of that yet. I had not considered the possibility that TCU was just good because, like, this is what good teams do. They go out and they win games even when it's not their style. Yeah, I think that that's, that's my main takeaway here is, like, this game was unexpectedly super grimy and we thought it was going to be a shootout and it just turned into a slugfest. And kudos to TCU for adapting their style and being able to win a game like that. And I know that there was uh, some missed throws by Quinn Ewers. And I feel like earlier I said, like when I drink on Saturdays and watch all these games, I feel like I make it more dramatic than it really is. When I was watching this game, I was like, this fucking rules. This look at how hard these dudes are hitting. This game is wonderful. I'm, I haven't gone back and watched it yet. And I'm really scared to just be like, Oh, that was just a, a normal ass game where the offenses couldn't get it together. But like kudos to TCU for being able to adapt and just say, hey, that's that's not how we're going to win tonight, mm-hmm. and let's not get bogged down into trying to play like that. Let's shift our style. And they adapted. Steve Sarkeesian was Steve Sarkeesian and didn't, and that's why TCU comes out with a big win. Yeah, yeah. Really, honestly, uh, uh, impressive how TCU handled this defensively, especially. Joe Gillespie is the the less talked-about coordinator of the two there, uh, formerly of of some of those really, really fun Tulsa defenses, the 2021 specifically with Zayvon Collins. Uh, that dude can coach. TCU's defense has not been the yeah. focal point this year, but dude can coach. He recognized what was going on here. TCU absolutely shut down the Texas running game and, and pretty much dared Sark to keep throwing the ball, and he kept dialing them up, and it kept not working. They just really kind of a uh, a challenge of Texas's manhood here from Texas, from TCU's defense and they were right Texas was not able to respond Texas did not have the guys to do it um which is I think unacceptable that Texas doesn't have the guys to do that Texas should have the guys to do that they have the talent for it but uh credit fully to TCU for for noticing that and having the balls to actually come out and do it and <laughs> say, you know what? I don't think you can beat us. I don't think that you can throw the ball on us. I, we're going to stop the run. We're going to dare Quinn Ewers to beat us. And he couldn't. And that's, uh, 
that's that's risky. That's hard to do, and they did it. Uh, TCU stays alive in the playoff conversation, and I, I am. I know that as soon as I say this, they will lose. To, <laughs> immediately, they will go and lose. I think they got Baylor this week. Yeah, Baylor this week, and then they have Iowa State at home next week. But like, I don't know. I am starting to kind of believe in the fact that they just they know how to win. They go out and they figure out ways to win games, even if it's tight, even if it's not pretty. Yeah. Pretty much none of their wins outside of the OU game this year have been pretty, but they do it. They keep winning games, and that, at some point, you uh, you know if you win, if you keep winning games, you're going to go somewhere. And it seems like they are headed in that direction. Another team that just keeps winning games here: North Carolina, 36; Wake Forest, 34. Wake Forest, man, just keeps just keeps dropping these games that they should be winning. Wake Forest should have won this game. Meanwhile, on the other side, North Carolina, like TCU, like I just said. They haven't lost. They didn't lose. They <laughs> they've not lost in quite some time now. It has been since very very early in the season when they lost to uh, Notre Dame. They just they win games and it's never it's never impressive. They keep winning by basically three points, but they do it again here and and they remain in the conversation. I guess I I I really don't believe in these guys. TCU I can I can give it to North Carolina. I think has two players and they're just really really good players, Drake May and Josh Downs, but they won the game. There's uh, there's only so much I can say about it cuz they went out and won. You know, I have actually for the hour we've been recording this, I have a uh, an uninvited guest who's been listening to our conversation and he's been waiting for this exact moment. So, <laughs> coach, uh, if you want to just say what you got to say been three years boys how we feeling i know mayhorn's been talking a lot of shit about me delayed option for wake forest why don't you delay this boot up your ass gene chiswick gene chiswick makes more money in the last two weeks than you boys will in your whole lives i walk in this apartment denning you're living in squalor with your girlfriend i might steal her up from you when she gets off of work coach that's that's enough i've had enough always a pleasure coach. Back, boys Thank you, Coach. Appreciate it. Oh, my God, I missed him. <laughs> he's a good guy. He's a good guy. You know, he talks a big game, but he's got a good heart. Uh, I can't, honestly, I, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't stay mad at Mac. It's so funny that this is happening, that <laughs> 80-year-old Mac Brown is 9-1. and one. Like, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's so stupid that it is, like, it has gotten to the point where I just throw my hands up. It's like, well, whatever. <laughs> yeah, might as well. They might as well be fucking nine and one in a playoff contender. That I don't. I have no reason to disagree with that. Uh, Coastal Carolina twenty six, Southern Miss twenty three. Uh, Coastal Carolina clinches the Sun Belt East. They are headed back to the title game. Impressive season from them. We've said it before on this show. Uh, Ryan and I have, and I'll, I'll say it again here. Uh, this was supposed to be a, re- a rebuilding year, and they aren't rebuilding. <laughs> They're headed right back to the conference title game in a really difficult conference. It has not been a perfect season from them by any means. This was not a perfect game, but they they have gotten it done when they needed to. They have stepped up when they needed to. They kind of did it with defense here. They overcame two turnovers. They are one of the more impressive programs in, in college football, and I just wanted to give them uh, a shout-out. I, I don't honestly... I don't know how they have done this, but they have, and I think that they deserve all the credit for it. Like you said earlier, like it feels like they're kind of just trying to carry whatever's left of yeah. what they have just over the finish line. And like you would look at that box score and be like, wow, Coastal Carolina only beat Southern Miss by three at home, but you can just tell how beat up they are. And for the fact that they've done it now for what, two years, two years in a row, and they've been this successful, 
Like just just get to bowl season and you have your Grayson McCall send off and you kind of build into whatever next year is. But a, a, a good way for them to get to capping this year. And, you know, there's still things that can happen, like we talked about within G5. So who knows how this thing ends up. But just like we said for TCU, good teams find ways to win different styles of games and they found a way to gut this one out at home. Yep. Yep. For sure. I, uh, I'll also just, I'm going to beam a message directly into the minds of coastal Carolina and Emmanuel Burt here. Uh, this is a pairing that you guys need to make happen. Central Michigan, Emmanuel, it's not for you. It's not the place to be. You want to be at Myrtle <laughs> Beach. You want to be at Coastal Carolina. You want to replace Grayson McCall. Coastal Carolina, these quarterbacks that you have on your roster who aren't Grayson McCall are bums. You need to go get Emmanuel Burt. You need to do this. You need to make this happen for me. It's very important that Coastal Carolina <laughs> goes out and they grab that kid because that would be uh, three of the most enjoyable years of college football I think anyone will ever have. <laughs> <laughs> that, that pairing. So we need to make that happen. Last one here of the evening games, and then we're going to roll through the nightcap. Not a ton going on in the nightcap, but there was one big one. Uh, last of the evening games, just want to mention Florida State 38, Syracuse 3. Florida State's good. They're just straight up good. They really, really took it to Syracuse here. Syracuse is in a bad way, but Florida State just goes out and, and does what they want to do pretty much every time they take the field. I, I have to think that if they were healthier back in, in October, they would have gotten at least one or, or two or, or, I mean, hell, even three of those games that they lost. I, I think that they were competitive in all three without a full a full strength roster and with them at full strength here they look damn good they look really really impressive it, I, I think that Mike Norvell is de- is deserving of uh of a lot of credit for this team yeah and I think when you say that like the counter argument from people would be like oh well if they played Ohio State or if they played Alabama or Georgia or Tennessee or Michigan they'd still they'd still lose they'd still yeah. get their ass beat and whether that's true or not I think is irrelevant because these are the types of wins that convince me that at the very least Florida state is on, they're at the next stage of whatever their build is yep. and where they've been building to. And I don't even know what to call it, whatever stage they're in, but it's clearly like, clearly they're a good team. And now it's the next step is them being consistently great because no Syracuse, they've fallen off in the past few weeks. They're, they're not the team that they, they look like at the start of the year, but for them to just, casually win that game 38 to three that says something to me like you're you're dominating teams that you should dominate and that's something florida state has struggled with and teams within that type of build in the mold that they are right now you struggle with that stuff and when you start doing that consistently that shows like okay now they're taking the next step so i think florida state is on that path and they're obviously headed in a great direction yeah it's a lot like the washington thing for me where you look at this florida yeah. state season and you have 10-point loss to Wake Forest, 2-point loss to NC State that they should have won, 6-point loss to Clemson by week, easily could have collapsed there. Easily could have collapsed. They were hurt. That's a brutal stretch. They were 4-3 and three at that point. It looked like things were, you know, things were so promising to start the season, and then they take that beating there. They have come out of the bye week. They have crushed Georgia Tech crushed Miami and crushed Syracuse. They have taken care of business in all three games. I have no reason to think that they won't do the same against Louisiana and Florida to end the season. That's what good teams do. They're not great. They're not, you know, obviously if they played Ohio State or Michigan or Alabama or Georgia or any of those teams, they would lose. But 
they are, like you said, absolutely they are. It is obvious that they have taken that next step to doing what good teams are supposed to do and winning those games. You just you have to beat the bad teams too. You you can't just have the impressive big wins. You've got to win these and you've got to do it with you know with, with conviction. You have to do that convinc- convincingly, and they they have they have consistently done that this season, and that is uh, that's impressive. That's that's an impressive step for a program. Their offensive line is holding up through the year. Has been impressive throughout the year. They are I think firmly headed to to better things. I think that they are developing correctly. Um, moving into the nightcap here, this one. Sort of like the Illinois game, kind of it, it, it ruined my night, but it also just made me sad. This, this result, Arizona thirty-four, UCLA twenty-eight. It just made me sad. I'm 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 bummed out about this. I uh, I had very high hopes for UCLA, and they have been largely so good this season, and then they do this, and I just. I don't know. I'm just I'm 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 sad about it. I especially I really don't like Arizona. I don't like anything that this Arizona team does or stands for and I'm just uh I don't know, I'm bummed out. I'm bummed out about this. We talked about Bryce Young being inevitable and like him just scrambling around and making plays. Yeah. Uh, Jaden Delora, he is not diet Bryce Young. He is for loco Bryce Young. <laughs> like, he is so unhealthily awful for you Yeah. and you have Whereas Young is like third and nine, like you know, he's he's absolutely gonna run around and gonna make the play, and he's gonna do something positive. With Jaden Delora, it's like forty-five, fifty-five that he is either gonna make the wildest play you've ever seen or do the dumbest thing yeah. that you've ever seen, and there's no in between. And that kind of felt like we we got good Jaden Delora mixed with. UCLA just kind of not being on it. And that's where, like, I feel like we can tie it back into the Florida State thing where, like, UCLA felt like they were on a really good run, and then there's this. Yeah. Like, this looks like how they look like in the first half of uh, the game against South Alabama early in the season and against Bowling Green where it just wasn't there, and that's kind of how it was all night for them. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason that they should be scoring 28 points against that defense. They it has to be better than that. And the stats were relatively good. It's just like finishing drives. You gotta finish drives. We, we you know, this is a constant yeah. thing in college football. Finish your fucking drives. You're already there. Just put the ball in the end zone. And they didn't do that. Uh, Arizona takes advantage and and gets a, a pretty major upset victory here. Uh, this does also absolutely lock up. It is it is the lock of the century that UCLA is going to knock USC out of the playoffs next week. <laughs> It has never been more obvious that UCLA is about to ruin USC's season than right now. This is perfect. It is... This is prime ruining USC's season territory. There has never been a USC-UCLA game that is more set up for it than this one. Yeah, we need it, and it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, San Diego State 43, San Jose State 27. Uh, I (laughs) I had this one on here originally because I thought that it impacted the West race. It doesn't at all. It (laughs) literally does not affect the, the West race even a little bit. Um, I, I do want to, uh, both, both of these teams still need Fresno state to, to lose out basically. And if that happens then they would have a chance, but I do want to mention, I have, I have referenced him a couple times on the show, Jalen Maiden, uh, he's good. And San Diego state is scary with a quarterback, with a, with a quarterback who can run with a quarterback who can throw with an offense that can score 42 points against a capable defense. They are scary. The, 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 the way that they have been playing with him at quarterback and, and, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm glad that they have him because they did some kind of shitty stuff this offseason. But yeah, I'm glad that he's doing well. I like Jalen Maiden. I'm glad to see him succeeding. I just maybe wish that he was doing it for like San Jose State instead of San Diego State. 
Jesse Matthews is a fun watch too. He's yeah. really come into his own as a receiver and he's made some crazy ass catches the last couple of weeks. So say, and that's like San Diego state. And even though they, they scored a bunch, I feel like I, I still have to go back to like, I'm kind of, I, I don't even dislike them, but like where I'm just rooting against the success of somebody, Brady Hoke in this case, <laughs> but like San Diego state, I always have this thing when they're, cause they always play at night and they're always, you know, one of the last games on. And it's like, Oh, I'm hyped to see like San Diego state, good defense. Like, and then you get to their games and it's just a snooze fest yeah. year in and year out. And by the first quarter, I'm like, I don't need to watch San Diego state. And now with the quarterback, maybe that changes, but not at the expense of my boys, my beautiful Spartans. So that was tough to see, yeah. but Hey, Fun to watch offensively, at least for the first time in a while, but tough to see the Spartans go down like that. The thing that always bothers me about San Diego State is the wide receivers wearing numbers in the 90s. I, I, I can't get down with that. I don't like that. Yeah, like that Matthews, is, Matthews is 45. Yeah, it's fucked up. It's like, <laughs> it, it, it's when they're really good, it can be kind of cool, but if they're just like a regular ass receiver wearing 93, I, I, I don't want to see that shit. That's gross. I don't want to, I don't want anything to do with that. Make them wear a normal number. You guys are not. Uh, you know, oh, differentiating yourselves because your receivers wear ugly numbers. It's not, <laughs> I don't want to see what, that. The common denominator here, because the first thing I think of is Devin Gardner wearing 98. Like Ugh. the common denominator is Brady Hoke. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Brady Hoke, he needs to be, uh, he needs to be taken to justice, apparently. He needs to be, somebody needs to step in here. Uh, last game here, we will, we will close out with this just because it is, a chance to not necessarily run up the score, but to make a point, to drive a point home about Utah. Utah 42, Stanford 7. I know what Utah did at the start of the season. I understand that they do this every year, that every, that Utah is destined to finish every season 11-2, and two, but to close out on a crazy winning streak and look like one of the best teams in the country over the last two months. I understand that. I have made my peace with that. I will not be predicting Utah to, uh, to do anything other than that because that's all that they're ever going to do. However, Utah is inevitable. They will always do this. Utah will always be in the Pac-12 conversation at the end of the season. And there's no point in even trying to, in even thinking otherwise. It's crazy that people still think otherwise. That after Utah took its second loss, there was like a, a conversation among national guys of, oh, well, Utah's out. No, they're not. No, they're not. Yeah. They're never out. It's Utah. They're going to win their last six games. They always do this shit. And here they are. They're doing it again. They look great. They look great. They are they are taking care of business. They look really, really good. The offense is rolling. They survived against Washington State without Cam Rising, but like they're running the ball really well. The defense is starting to to kind of check in a little bit. They are inevitable. They do it every year. I think that they're probably going to end up in the Pac-12 championship game. They control their destiny, and I think they're going to get there. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because I, I'm really looking forward to that game they have against Oregon this week. Yeah. And... I haven't looked at like what the line is or what the initial talk about it is, but I would, I, I feel confident in saying more people like in the general public and talking heads are probably going to pick Oregon to win that game. And I'm like, okay, like just based off of everything you said there too. And based off of the fact that like we saw these two teams play twice last year yeah, and it was ugly mm-hmm. both times. And if Utah gets to go into that game with everybody being like, Oh yeah, we're actually going to roll with Oregon here. Like the Pac-12 to me, until further notice, runs through Salt Lake. It just Mm -hmm. does. And like you said, they're on a roll right now. Uh, And back to our point of just running through teams that you should run through. 
that's exactly what they did. It was a little slow at first last night, and then they end up winning 42-7. to And, like, I went to that game last year here uh, when they played Stanford and Palo Alto, and they beat them 52-7. to Yeah. How many combined total yards do you think Utah has in their last two games against Stanford? Oh God! Um, it's 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 got to be. Is it upwards of a thousand at least? A thousand and ninety-five. Good God! The last two years against Stanford, they had four hundred forty-one yards rushing against them last year. Mm-hmm. Over a thousand yards, almost eleven hundred between these last two games against <laughs> with them and Stanford. And like you said, for Utah, if if you look at what Oregon did last night on defense how do you not feel mm-hmm. like those guys are food and based off of what we did to them twice last year we're gonna do the exact same thing again like i don't think utah's coming into that game this week with a ton of wrinkles or surprises for oregon like mm-hmm. you're gonna get a face full of fist yeah from them like that's all you're getting on saturday from utah and oregon yeah that's the thing that has been true about utah even when it was losing games is true about utah every year and will continue to be true about utah for as long as kyle whittingham wants to do this ain't shit sweet against utah no no it's not gonna happen you can do all that all that uh you know oh we're doing the swinging gate we're going doing an onside kick we're going for it on fourth and one on our side of the field they're gonna stop you they're not going to let you do it. It doesn't work against them. If you want to beat Utah, you have to be better than them. You have to beat them straight up. And I just, Oregon likes to dance too much. And in Utah, there's, I, I live here. There's no dancing allowed. You may not dance in Utah. You can't, there was, the, the state is from footloose. You can't do it. And if Oregon comes into that game and tries to dance, Utah will punch it in the mouth. It has, it has no interest in that. That has been their MO for years they are they're doing it again they are just doing it again they do this every year i think that it is uh we can just pencil it in at this point this is what they do um fun program really honestly it's a it's a really fun thing that they have going there and i i was uh i was just thinking about this yesterday because i saw somebody posted about it it is wild to think about how utah was like not in the pac-12 all that long ago utah was a g5 team not that long ago and uh it's it's cool it's it's cool to have that success story of a team jumping up tcu's doing this too teams jumping up and being great be you know establishing themselves as top tier programs as consistent you know new year's six programs and, and these really just strong teams that win every year and and uh i think utah is is one of the best examples that the sport has of that i'm just i'm I'm happy for them i'm glad that they keep doing this i'm happy for the pac-12 that they got something out of that utah colorado yeah (laughs) even even if it's the expense of me like i'm I'm, because i don't like i have buddies who really hate utah just based off of like that's when cu got added that was kind of just like okay utah's the rival now and i i really don't feel that i love watching utah yeah and they have been such of all the conference additions anywhere, like return on investment, at least on the field, like I don't give a shit about the money return on investment wise football, like they might be number one because they've come in and they have just been so rock solid from the start to where they are now. And they are such a different team than everybody else. And it creates for these fun stylistic matchups. And they are just, they're so Utah that you can't help, but just 
like respect it and appreciate it because they stay true to who they are and it works. Why would, why would you fix that? Yeah. Yep. It, it has worked forever and it will continue to work. They are, they are damn good at it. And it's another victory for the now still undefeated, uh, conference realignment opinion of just get good programs, just get good programs, programs that win yep. games and care about football and you'll be fine. doesn't matter what market they're in. I don't care if they're in the middle of nowhere. If it's a good football program, it will stay a good football program. Um, and that is, uh, that should be the guiding principle when you're trying to do realignment. I don't care what city a team is in. If they aren't a good program, they're probably not going to just become one. It's not a thing you can just do. And, and Utah has been a good program for a long time, has been doing this for a long time, and they just keep on doing it. Um, Colton, this has been a blast. Where, where can people find your stuff? Uh, they can find my work on two stripes, cpd.com. That's the number two stripes, cpd.com. Uh, I've been taking a hiatus from the podcast, the two stripes podcast, but I'm going to have, I might as well just say it here. I'll have a preview for the Michigan game, uh, that week and then a recap for that one. Um, and then what else? Uh, YouTube, obviously youtube.com slash Colton Denning for all of the highlights and all that good stuff. And then you can follow me on Twitter if you want. At Dubs Co. Uh, before we get out of here, Patrick, I do want to say this because we glossed over it, and I'm sure you did it intentionally because there's no reason to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Do we want to mention Auburn and Texas A&M. Oh shit! At all? Shit! I, uh, I I did not mean to gloss over it. I, uh, I I accidentally deleted a tab earlier, and I couldn't figure out which one it was. <laughs> I had yeah. a I had all my game on paper tabs open, and I deleted one, and I thought it was just a duplicate. Yes, I did want to talk about this, not for anything on the field, but for um for for Cadillac Williams after the game. Yeah. Um, man, what a uh, what a moment! What a wonderful, wonderful moment that was. This is what happens when you have somebody who's cleaning up a culture, and like it's it sucks that cultures just become this word that's just like thrown out there but it but it is a thing and this is what happens when somebody cleans it up and what it genuinely looks like when the person is doing it with purpose and intention and for the right reasons versus a rotten culture because that's what and like i don't want to take away from cadillac williams because it was such a great moment but that really to me was what was showcased here like there's no reason that auburn should beat texas a&m in this game yeah at all but like they were together, they played together and they didn't do anything stupid. And like, I, I cook a lot. And what I've learned in like the three or four years that I've been heavily cooking is that at least for me, like when I cook with purpose and love and intention and like I'm making my meal for something, it usually tastes better. Yeah. And when I don't, when I try to just throw some shit together, it tastes like shit. Well, it doesn't taste like shit, but it's just not as good. Yeah. And that to me is what Texas A&M is right now where they're just like, we throw a five star in the recipe and we throw another five star in the recipe and we add big name coach money wise into the recipe. And then at the end of it, you're just like, why isn't this working? And there's really no purpose behind it. And to me, that was just like so clearly on display in that Auburn A&M game. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, uh, the care that he obviously has for those players, the love that he has for that program and that place, um, was really truly heartening. It was, it was very, you know, the kind of just emotional to, to see that because it has, it feels a lot to me at, at times in, in college football, especially at that level, that that doesn't exist anymore in the SEC or the big 10 and it can exist, yeah. you know, that those programs have, have traded in their identities for the sake of winning games. And, uh, to, to see him 
have that moment. You can't fake that. Yeah, no, that that is absolutely. You can come in and you know, as a as a new coach, and talk all you want about building a culture of uh, you know a family and building a brotherhood and all that shit. All that shit. Um, you can tell. <laughs> you can tell when a guy is serious about it and when he isn't. You can tell when he when he really truly has been impacted by his players and has impacted them. Um, and the way that they reacted to him and the way that he reacted after that game. Uh, the crowd being like out in full force for a team that has, I mean, there's no reason to be there. There's no logical reason to be at that game other than to, you know, support a a program legend. And uh, yeah, for him to have that moment was just, was fantastic. And a game that, I mean, objectively does not matter. (laughs) Does not matter. At all. That's that's what makes, those are the moments that make, you know, that and, you know, the Cam Bab moment in the Ohio State game are the moments that make this sport where just like, I'm sorry, but like Titans, Jags, you can't, you can't get that. No. Other than like, if the game is just incredible and goes to overtime and is like chiefs bills last year in the playoffs, that's really the only way you're going to get that in the NFL. Yeah. And in college football, like moments like that, like Auburn's three and six, A&M is three and six. And everybody who was at Jordan Hare stadium last night, they're going to remember that game for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And that is what makes it, so great and like for the a&m side did you see the quote from jimbo fisher uh, i think it was two weeks ago that somebody asked him about recruiting and like hey how how tough is it to sell recruiting right now and to sell the program right now when all these things are going on players are getting suspended you guys are losing games and he like the answer that i would never expect he was like well like uh you know i can sell them that they can come in here and play right away whereas like at alabama (laughs) you're going to have to fight it for playing time where guys are doing the right job and they're winning. And it was like, Holy shit. Like yeah. this is the man who has literally no fucks to give and he knows it. And like on Monday, I want somebody to ask him the same question of like, coach, how do you sell recruiting without like even having a bowl game to go to and with everything going on. And I just so desperately want Jimbo Fisher to say something like, well, the thing about it is if if you, you go to Alabama, Patrick, uh, you're going to have to spend your whole December and January getting ready to go play in the playoff. You're going to yeah. have to go play in the SEC title <laughs> game. Uh, if you come to Texas A&M, uh, you're free time. Yeah, all yeah, December. It, he's doing family, it. friends, family, <laughs> friends. A little bit of football will get you will get you uh, ingratiated within the program. Uh, but at Alabama, you're you're you got no free time. Nick is watching over you. You're practicing. You're watching film. All that stuff at Texas A&M. You're you're making money. You're making NIL money. You don't got to play. You, you December, January free. He's putting up a sign in front of the stadium that says, if you lived here, you'd be home by now. <laughs> like it's, it's such an incredible flex for a head coach to just be like, yeah, yeah we're not winning. That's my sell to you is like, you can come in here and play. Cause yeah. we suck. I don't even need to win. What are they going to do? It's, 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 it's incredible. Like, What's a, and then we talked about Oklahoma, like they're going to be fascinating uh a&m just for the train wreck yeah like might be number one because you have a situation that is so ugly that it's like how can you possibly like it's one year but how can you possibly rebound from that and not have like any lasting effects like i almost saw those dudes lose to colorado last year so like it really isn't only one one year like when you when we look back at the history of texas a&m in five years in the jimbo fisher era like We'll kind of look back at that 2020 and be like, eh, well, that was kind of out of the blue. Like, and yeah. then it all kind of went to shit. 
Yeah, and then they got to know him a little bit better, which seems to be the issue with Jimbo Fisher. <laughs> as soon as his players know him, then it becomes a problem. Um, yeah, the, this was... Uh, I, I have seen countless people uh, reacting to this with, you know, oh, I, I love the I love Cadillac Williams' speech, and then following it up with, but they shouldn't make a... Uh, they shouldn't make a, you know, a, a knee-jerk decision and, and hire him just because of this. Um, this show is all about zigging when everybody... or zagging when everybody else zigs. Uh, I think they should do that. I think they should absolutely do that. I <laughs> I don't care if it would work. I don't have any stakes in Auburn, right? Um, just entirely based on that, they should hire him as the full-time head coach. I think that'd be great. I would love to see how it works because it's very obvious that he cares about that program yeah. more than anybody else they could possibly go out and hire. Nobody they could get is going to care more than he does. And, and does that count for anything? I don't know. But... It, I mean, he certainly has a whole lot of energy, and he would not be the first guy moving from a pretty small position to a head coaching position who has success with it based on passion and based on caring. Um, yeah, they should totally do that. I don't care if it's yeah. the right decision or not. They should do that. They, The reaction from Auburn fans to that, the reaction to his moment and the just like euphoria among Auburn people who who have had a miserable year, just a miserable couple of years now, and this 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 sense of just joy that seemed to wash over everybody, they should be seeking that out. They should absolutely be chasing that feeling. That is the feeling that you need to have, and they 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 have it here. And you know, yes, it's totally a knee jerk reaction. It's 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 one game. It's against a bad team. I don't care. <laughs> I don't yeah. care. They should do it. I don't. I I do not care. They should do it. I know that it's not the reason the reasonable take. I know it's not rational, but like. It does. This sport is not rational. This sport is not played rationally. It is, it is about caring. It's about passion. It's about emotion. And and definitely, absolutely, I, I I did not mean to skip this game at all because that was really one of the most special moments of the season to me. That was uh, that was college football right there. That was that was what I love about it. Yeah, and it's it's amazing what a team and a fan base and a moment feels like when the people genuinely give a shit. Yeah. Like, what? Wow, what a what a concept! Like when people care and like people are shown respect and like the players know that they're cared for. It's wild what they can do. Like, and even when they lost to Mississippi State, you could tell that those guys weren't just like dead in the water after that game. Mm -hmm. And Cadillac wasn't like that either. Like they they genuinely were like that was that was awesome. Let's do it again. And I, I don't think it's it's good enough either to just be like, well, we can still keep them on, but like the guy whoever we hire they have to keep him on and like uh really like that that isn't just the band-aid for it of like we'll keep him on but we'll hire another dude who's like well established like no what if what if you the school who is so fucking manic and mm -hmm. like has so many ups and downs and is so wild what if you did something where it was like that feeling that good feeling we had what if we just did that again yeah like what if we just stuck with the guy that that did that and it's it's one of your own and it feels like Auburn just whenever somebody wants to come in from the outside or even somebody within the SEC, it's immediately like we are going to eat this person alive. And if they get out of our stomachs, they have our respect yeah. until we eat them again. Yeah. Whereas with Cadillac Williams, it's like, he's already one of you. Yeah. You know what he is and like, you've seen how this has gone. Like, why don't we give it a chance? What, what, what else could go wrong? Like what, what have we done here that like, you've seen that hasn't worked. So like, I, I'm with you that mm -hmm. uh, I'm usually against the interim coach thing. Cause it, it doesn't work a ton of the time, but when you have a situation like this, like 
we don't see what we saw last night very often. And that clearly was something else and it was something special. And I think that like there at least needs to be, or I hope there is a legitimate chance for him to get that job outright just to, just to see what happens in hell. Maybe like, what if they go and beat Alabama? I know it's not going to happen, but like what a fucking story that would be to see Cadillac Williams beat (laughs) Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa. Like, that would just be so amazing. Yeah, I, I would cry like a baby. <laughs> oh, it'd be wonderful. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. The that... end of Nick Saban is just this interim head coach. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a player he would have coached against when he was at LSU. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, man. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, just, just uh, if if nothing else, the pitch for, for this, and, and then we'll get out of here, is it's just hire somebody that you are rooting for to succeed hire somebody you like hire somebody that you love that you have you know that your fans have a passion for that your fans know that your boosters know like we hear all the time about auburn's boosters being just a nightmare to deal with it's like well hire somebody that they want to succeed (laughs) you know you don't it doesn't have to be kevin Steele. It doesn't have to be. You can go get somebody with energy. You can go get somebody young. There are young Auburn alums who are coaches. He's got a staff there right now of a lot of former Auburn guys. Zach Etheridge, former Auburn guy. There are Auburn guys all over the place. Like, Just have a coaching staff that people want to succeed because it did feel like the entire time with the last however many fucking coaches at Auburn, they just were waiting for the guy to fail so that they could fire him and move on to somebody else. Just hire somebody that you don't want to see fail. Hire somebody you want to succeed beyond just the baseline of like wanting your team to succeed. Somebody whose personal success you are invested in as a fan base and as a school. And uh, yeah, maybe it'll work better. Maybe you won't have such a rotten fucking culture. It, it seems like something to look into, not just for Auburn, but maybe for the team that was on the other side of the field as well. Maybe look into hiring a guy who you actually like instead of just chasing the money. Who's the biggest bag we can give? we can give out? Well... Maybe you should get somebody you like. Um, All right, that'll do it for us here. We went extremely long, uh, but this was a blast. As I said, Colton, thank you again. Uh, We will uh, will absolutely have you back on when we are uh, at at full strength, and we will do the the dream dream team run-through. Uh, I will, uh, I will link to all of the, all of the things that he mentioned, uh, however many minutes ago that was, uh, in the description as well. And, uh, I will be back for the watch list with, uh, Ryan. Take care guys.